You are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note that the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. This week, we're going to be talking about investing and in particular, something called investment vehicles. To be honest, when someone says the word investing to me, I assume we're going to be talking about stocks and shares or gold or maybe even Bitcoin, but not vehicles. Simon, what's an investment vehicle? Hello, Bex. Uh, Well, an investment vehicle is any product or structure that is put in place to help someone try and gain a positive return on their money. Okay, uh, that hasn't really helped, to be honest. I feel like I need an analogy. (laughs) Then I shall analogise for you. Bex, imagine you are going shopping. I could easily do that. Okay, it's unlikely that you just walk into a shop, pick something up, pay for it, and walk out, carrying it in your hands. What is likely is that you will take a bag, or a basket, or a trolley to put your shopping in, and that helps you carry it. But depending on what I'm shopping for, I might need a different kind of shopping container. As much as I would like to, I'm not going to take a shopping trolley into a bookshop, and I wouldn't fit all my food shopping into a tiny gift bag. And that is exactly the same with investment vehicles. You kind of have to pick the right container depending on what your investment need is. And it's just something that you put your investments in. So by that logic, that means that there must be different types of investment vehicles with different qualities and objectives. And it isn't just a case of one size fits all? Correct. Today, I'm going to suggest that there are two in particular that meet the needs of most people most of the time. We've actually come across one of them already. We discussed pensions back in episode two, and I explained that most people will end up with at least one pension during their lifetime, possibly more, and that it meets the needs of saving up for retirement really well. The other one is an ISA, an individual savings account. And for most people, this is the only other investment vehicle that they will ever need. So ISAs and pensions are investment vehicles. Like a shopping bag, we put our investments in them to help carry them around. But why do we need a pension or an ISA? Why can't we just have our investments hanging about, as it were? Well, you can indeed, actually. But that's just a bit like leaving all your money sitting around the house and not putting it in the bank. It's a lot more hassle. And you miss out on some of the important and valuable benefits And it's primarily those benefits that I want to talk about. And actually, in our next couple of episodes, I'll be filling in some of the gaps around investment strategy, the different companies who provide the various products and structures we're going to talk about just now. But we're going to focus on tax planning today. It seems that whatever the topic we're talking about is, tax always creeps into the conversation. Yeah, but this time, rather than talking about tax being taken away from us, we're going to talk about how to avoid paying tax. But isn't tax avoidance a bad thing? Shouldn't we be paying the tax we're supposed to? Absolutely. Uh, We should definitely pay the tax that we're due. Not doing that is called tax evasion, and that is absolutely illegal. But tax avoidance is totally legitimate and is a part of the system that the government has put in place to ensure that the less well-off pay 
less tax than the wealthy. Okay, now that I'm sure we're not going to commit any crimes, can you tell me more about this tax avoidance? Okay, tax avoidance. It's any process or action that helps you pay less tax without breaking the law. And both pensions and ISAs are common types of tax avoidance schemes. Let me explain how. So money can be either subject to tax or it can be exempt from tax. Now, when you earn money, you are taxed. Well, at least a bit above the personal allowance. If you then put that money into an ISA, you're putting in taxed money. You've already paid tax on it. However, if you remember from last episode, if you put that same money into a pension, you get given your tax back. So the money is effectively exempt from tax. So straight away, ISAs and pensions are different. So that's what happens when the money goes in. Now, whilst the money is in, in the pension or in the ISA, they both grow free of tax. Now, that's quite different than if you had your investments just hanging around and not in a tax-efficient investment vehicle. And in fact, there's a name for that, and it's called a general investment account. There's no tax protection on offer. So you might end up paying tax on the income that you earn on your investments, and also any capital gains that you make on your investments. And if tax is taken off you, then you have less money left in your investments. And if that happens year after year, the cumulative effect can be quite significant. So by keeping your investments in a tax-free environment, you get to keep all of the income and all of the growth every year. And that is called gross roll-up. You have a larger left amount after year one, which means you get more income and more growth in year two, and effectively every year thereafter. So in a pension, it's tax exempt on the way in and grows tax-free, but an ICE investment is from tax money on the way in, but also grows tax-free. What about when you want to take the money out? So money from an ISA can be taken out tax-free. But most of the money you take out of a pension is taxed, and it's taxed as income. So if we were to summarize, an ISA is taxed on the way in, exempt in the middle, and exempt on the way out. So it's called taxed, exempt, exempt. But a pension is exempt on the way in, exempt in the middle when it's growing, but taxed on the way out. So we call that exempt, exempt, taxed. And which is better, the pension or the ISA? There are at least two major factors to consider here to answer that question. Firstly, is the objective that you're trying to meet with your investment, and then comes the tax treatment. But let's take those in reverse order, and we'll finish off the tax treatment conversation first. So, Bex, imagine that you'd earned £80, now that's after tax and national insurance, it's in your pocket, and your decision is whether to put that money into an ISA or into a pension. So if you put the money into an ISA, you get no tax back. You've paid your tax and that's the deal. So your ISA is going to be worth £80. But if you put that money into a pension, you get your tax back. And assuming you're a basic rate taxpayer, you will get 20% back. But actually, it's not 20% of the £80 you get back. It's actually 25%. Hang on a minute. A 20% taxpayer gets 25% tax back. How does that work? Well, it's because you're being given back the tax 
that you paid in the first place. So imagine you'd earned £100, and we'll say that's after national insurance, otherwise it's too complicated. You'd earned £100, and you still have 20% tax to pay. So you will pay £20 of tax, and then you end up with £80 in your pocket. Now, to get the tax back that you have paid, well, you're owed that £20. That's 20% of £100. But £20 is actually 25% of the £80 in your pocket, and that's called grossing up. That £80 you put into your pension has turned into £100 because of grossing up, because of tax relief. So, so far, the pension is doing better than the ISA, because of that £20, the tax relief. Now, we also know that for both the pension and the ISA, they grow tax-free. So assuming they're both invested in the same way and with the same charges, they will both grow by the same amount. So let's ignore growth for the moment to make the maths a bit simpler. And then sometime later in the future, you want your money out. Now, Bex, do you remember about the difference between ISAs and pensions on the way out. So ISAs are tax-free on the way back out, but pensions pay some tax. Spot on. So the £80 in your ISA, and we're ignoring growth, comes out and there's no tax to pay, and so it's worth £80. Brilliant. But the £100 in your pension has some tax still to pay. Now, the first thing that happens is that you're entitled to take 25% of that money, tax-free. So 25% of £100 is £25, with no tax to pay. That is not a bad start. But that leaves you with £75 that is still potentially subject to tax. Now, we had a basic rate taxpayer putting money into their pension. So they were paying 20% tax. Now, if they're still a basic rate taxpayer on their way out they will again have to pay 20% tax. But this time, only on the £75 that's left after they've taken tax-free cash. Bit of maths here. So 20% of £75 is £15. So they will have had to pay, to get their £100 out, £15 in total. Their £100 ends up being £85 in their pocket. And that's higher than the amount that came out of the ISA, £80. So the pension's better. Yes, in that particular circumstance. But what if the investor was a higher rate taxpayer when they took money out of the pension? Then they'd have to pay the higher tax rate on the £75. And the higher tax rate is 40% for most of the UK, 41% in Scotland. So 40% tax on £75, the taxable bit, is now £30. So their £100 comes down to £70 in their pocket. And that is less than the ISA investor. But then what if they were a non-taxpayer when they take money out of the pension? Then they'd pay no tax? Absolutely. Their £100 remains £100. So from a purely financial point of view, pensions will beat ISAs for any basic rate taxpayer who is a non-taxpayer or a basic rate taxpayer in retirement when they take money out, but not if they end up as a higher rate taxpayer. However, if they are a higher rate taxpayer when they're putting money into their pension, 
but only a basic rate taxpayer on the way out, then it's even better for them. And we'll talk about cash flow planning in a few episodes time, and you'll see how some proactive financial planning can make a big difference to your outcome. And I imagine that not many people go from being a basic rate taxpayer when they're working to being a higher rate taxpayer in retirement. That implies that they are better off in retirement. So in general, pensions are better than ISAs? From a tax perspective, that is usually the case, yes. But remember what I said, there were two factors to consider and tax was the second factor. So the first one was something to do with objectives, what the money was to be used for. You mentioned last episode that I wouldn't be able to get my hands on my pension until I was in my 50s. So that's not going to be a great solution if I want to buy a house in the next few years, is it? Absolutely not. In fact, that very issue was causing problems for the government a few years back. You see, an ISA is a great way to save for a deposit on a house. But a pension is a better way to save for retirement. Now, what if you want to buy a house and therefore you save up a deposit, but then you never actually get round to buying that house? You will have been financially disadvantaged. And then we add into that mix the pension auto-enrolment legislation that was introduced in 2012. That's the thing that means employers have to put all of their employees into a company pension scheme. But if that employee wanted to save money up to buy a house, they might choose to opt out of the company pension scheme and miss out on the tax relief and miss out on the employer's pension contribution. Now, there was a solution put in place, which is a bit of a halfway house, and it's called the Lifetime ISA, or the LISA. It's not actually called a LISA, even though it's spelt the same way as the name. Good to know. So this Lifetime ISA, the LISA, And for those who are interested, actually replaced an earlier version of the ISA called the Help to Buy ISA. The LISA follows the same basic rules as a normal ISA. It's taxed, then exempt, then exempt. But it comes with some extra rules. Four extra rules in summary. Number one, you must be over 18, but under 40 to open up a LISA. You can put up to £4,000 per year into it but only until you're 50, and then you've got to stop. Uh, Number three, the government will add a 25% bonus to your savings. Remember that, 25% bonus. Not tax relief this time, just a bonus. And rule number four, you can take your money out, totally tax-free, but only if you're using it to buy your first home or when you reach age 60 or over. And in fact, if you're terminally ill, and have less than 12 months to live, you can also have the money out tax-free. So what happens if you take your money out in any other circumstances? In that case, you have to pay a 25% penalty. So you get a 25% bonus when you put the money in, and pay a 25% penalty if you take it out for the wrong reasons. Surely there's no reason not to get a LISA if you're eligible. Ah, well, what you might be forgetting, Bex is the impact of grossing up. So, we'll use the same numbers as before. Imagine you invest £80 into a LISA. Well, now you get a 25% bonus. Ah, it's not tax relief, it's 25% of the money you're putting in. So 25% of £80 is £20. It goes up to being £100 in your LISA. Fantastic. And that feels just like putting money into a pension. 
It's the same numbers. But if you take that money out of your LISA, except in one of those prescribed circumstances, you pay a 25% penalty. But it's 25% of the £100, the total value. That's a £25 penalty. So you put in £80, but you'd only get £75 out. You get to keep any growth you've achieved, but in reality, you are 6.25%, that's the maths, worse off than if you'd used a normal ISA. You mentioned that there was a £4,000 per year limit to a LISA. Why is that? And are there similar limits to normal ISAs and pensions? So whenever the government offers an opportunity to avoid tax, like with pensions and ISAs, they want to make sure that those most in need benefit the most. And typically, this is done by a process of limiting how much you can invest. So there's an overall limit on an ISA, which is £20,000 per year per person. But if you put any money into a LISA, which, as you mentioned, has that lower limit of £4,000 per year, then it uses up some of your overall ISA limit. So you could say put £4,000 into a LISA and still have £16,000 remaining ISA space in that tax year. Now, for most people, it is a pipe dream to be able to invest more than £20,000 per year, or in fact £40,000 if you're a couple. And that is why most people will never need any other tax vehicle than an ISA on top of their workplace pension. Now, if someone has more than that to invest, then they will have to go and find some other, possibly less tax-efficient place or investment vehicle to invest their money. Now, with pensions, the rules are even more complex. But for the vast majority of people, the pension has an annual allowance, how much you can put in per year, of £40,000. And that is far more than most people will ever need. So is that us for today, Simon? We get a pension from our workplace if we're employed. We use a LISA if we're thinking of buying a house and an ISA for all of our investments. Ah, that is a pretty good summary. Let me tie up a few little loose ends on this topic. So you can get two different types of ISA or LISA, a cash ISA and a stocks and shares ISA. In recent years, a cash ISA hasn't been of much value unless you had a lot of money in the bank Remember that an ISA prevents you from paying tax on the growth and on the way out. But most people already get the first £1,000 of interest income on their bank savings tax-free every year anyway. So if you had £100,000 in the bank and the bank was giving you 1% interest, you would get £1,000 interest, but it'd be tax-free. So a cash ISA wouldn't have saved you any money. Now, higher rates and additional rate taxpayers, they have lower, they're called personal savings allowances. So cash ISAs might benefit them more. But a cash ISA might be good if it has a higher interest rate than a regular bank savings account, which isn't always the case. Second loose end. If you need to invest more than you can get into an ISA, for example, maybe you've sold a property, or you've received an inheritance, or you've retired and you've got a lump sum from your pension, then it might be time to consider seeking advice from a financial planner. Now listen into the next couple of episodes for more guidance on what you could do with your money. But a general investment account is usually the next investment vehicle to consider. 
although it doesn't have any tax protection, you can still use the annual savings allowance and also actually something called the capital gains annual exemption to achieve almost tax-free growth if you manage that general investment account well. And then the third loose end, investment bonds. Investment bonds are effectively the fourth investment vehicle most people might have heard of. Again, they have their own tax rules, but in my experience, only investors who have maximised their pensions, maximised their ISAs, have put perhaps 200,000, pounds into their general investment accounts and still have money left over, would you need to consider an investment bond? Well, if that's you, then feel free to drop Simon an email at whereyourtreasureis at freerangepodcasting.co.uk. And if, like me, that's not you, you can still email with your questions or send a message via Instagram at whereyourtreasureispodcast. Next week, we're talking about the first home life stage and our next season three podcast is on investment strategy. I can't wait. (laughs) Investment strategy is critical, Bex. If you want to make your money, make more money, you've got to think about it. To analogize once more, it's like the engine in your car. It helps you get where you want to go. Thanks, Simon. Helpful as always. So join us next time to find out more. Goodbye. Goodbye. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go.